Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, Joining us once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So Shane, great to be back with you as always. Looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you. So, Shane, maybe we can begin by picking up where we left off with respect to the U.S. midterm elections. I know we spoke at this point maybe a little over a week ago, and at that point there were still some unknowns surrounding the makeup of Congress. Yet, as we're speaking this morning, we do have more clarity on the overall outcome and implications of the results. So, Shane, what will the makeup of Congress look like in 2023, and what changes are in store for congressional leaders? Yeah, no, there are still a few uh, races outstanding, but, you know, we do know who controls both the House and Senate now. That's the takeaway. And it's, you know, just a matter of, you know, uh, uh, what the what the margin is, you know, in the House, Republicans have secured 218 uh, um, with a few outstanding races. It's a question of will they get to 220 or maybe even up to 222. I think, you know, 222 is is a, a very optimistic scenario for Republicans will probably look at more like 220-221, but we'll wait till these final races are called. Um, and in the Senate, we know that Democrat, uh, Democrats will retain control because they have 50 votes plus uh, Vice President Harris as the tie-breaking vote. And the one real remaining uh, outstanding race is, is Georgia. So if Democrats win that in the runoff uh, next month, they'll have 51 uh, if they don't, they'll have 50, as they do today. Um, you know, so what does that mean? You know, uh, Democrats in, uh, overall fared better than expected. So, you know, in the Senate, uh, that secured uh, Chuck Schumer's uh, um, power, and he will remain the majority leader for Democrats there. Um, there was a challenge on the Republican side to Mitch McConnell by Senator Rick Scott of Florida. Uh, Senator McConnell prevailed and will remain the Republican leader over there. In the House, a little bit more interesting. You know, House Republicans have nominated uh, Kevin McCarthy, their leader, to be the speaker. Um, But the real vote will be on January 3rd for speaker. This was kind of the internal uh, vote. And, you know, uh, that uh, the January 3rd vote is public versus this internal vote that happened this week. Uh, which is, you know, a secret ballot. So, you know, Kevin McCarthy has some work to do. He needs to secure about uh, 30 more votes uh, so he can become speaker. So he's got uh, 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 um, two months ahead to secure those votes. Um, but I think it's going to be a very interesting June, uh, January 3rd on the Republican side. And, and then on the Democrat side, we had a bit of a, a tectonic shift. You know, uh, Speaker Pelosi announced yesterday that she would not run for Democratic leadership. Um, and I think that also kind of had a cascading effect. You saw Steny Hoyer, the number two Democrat in the House, also say he's not going to uh, run for his leadership position. So you're going to have a lot of new faces on the Democrat side. Uh, the, the the front runner for Democrats is Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, who currently is the number four House Democrat. Um, you know, a lot of people have been looking at him as the Democrat leader and waiting for the past few years 
and now is, you know, that time for him to shine. Under him, uh, there are a couple leaders like Catherine Clark from um, uh, Massachusetts and Pete Aguiar, um, who will probably ascend as well, but, you know, all of this is still a little bit in flux. So, you know, some new faces uh, are coming along with the election that, you know, will be in the news a lot more in the coming years. Uh, hats off to Speaker Pelosi for an impressive 20-year span in leadership. I want to follow up on the Senate runoff election. You brought this up just a moment ago. This will take place on December 6th in Georgia. And we've seen this before in recent time, thinking back to the last election cycle. What exactly is the messaging from both candidates? What does that consist of right now? And what kind of resources, I would imagine a lot, are being pumped into this race, including those who will be stumping or campaigning for the candidates? Yeah, millions of dollars are flowing into Georgia, as well as uh, many elected officials who are traveling to Georgia to, you know, support their candidate, whether it be Democrats, uh, Raphael Warnock, or Republicans, Gordon Herschel Walker. And you're seeing a lot of the same themes and messages. At the end of the day, you know, special um, runoff election like this is unique, and you really need to energize your base and get them turned out to vote. Um, you know, this is the only uh, election, you know, the governor is not up for re-election because that was um, uh, finalized by the uh, vote last week. So, it, you know, trying to energize um, your base. So, you know, I think for the Democrats, you're seeing them going to focus a lot of energy trying to tie Herschel Walker to former President Trump. And that really gets um, not only Democrats excited, but as we saw from last week's results, a lot of um, independents will be motivated by that to go out and vote for uh, Senator Raphael Warnock. Republicans, on the other hand, are going to try and you know tie uh, Senator Warnock and, and his support to what they would term as failed policies, and you know this uh, uh, the Biden agenda, and get you know. Uh, red Republican voters uh, to turn out. I think, you know, this is going to be a tough one for Republicans because that uh, it's not the fate of the Senate in the balance. We already know that Democrats uh, are going to control the Senate. It's just a matter of will they have 50 or 51 votes. And so that may demoralize some Republicans from turning out. Um, You know, it's not as consequential to them. Uh, So, you know, I... I, I think at this moment I'd rather be in the Democrats' shoes, but, you know, that is, uh, there is plenty of time to, to, for someone to slip up, plenty of time for um, a new message to emerge that truly motivates the base. So, you know, uh, this is going to be a fascinating one to follow and, and see the results. At this point, we don't have 100% of the outcomes determined, though, as you pointed out, certain that we will have a split Congress in 2023. So I'm curious what impact will a split Congress will have to President Biden's agenda over the next couple of years? And what might be some near-term legislative focuses of Congress? Yeah, well, first, before we get to, first in the near term, we have to think about Congress has to finish off this year's agenda, you know. Um, as we probably discussed, you know, the government funding bill expires December 16th. So after Thanksgiving, uh, lawmakers will come back, work on that. And at the same time, they're going to see what else they can wrap up. You know, we expect movement on the National Defense Authorization, you know, possibly the Respect for Marriage Act, and a a few other things. So it's going to be a short but fast-paced December in D.C. 
But to your larger point, you know, um, the calculation change is in January with a divided Congress. You know, really we're looking at bipartisan things that can move forward. You know, there is a lot of um, energy on both sides to look at things involving big tech. Obviously, the you know the collapse of FTX this week, um, that crypto exchange is creating a lot of interest. So that could be an area that that Congress works on. Um, as I mentioned, big tech on the side of you know data privacy and and whether or not it's a monopoly will create a lot of interest. You know, it's unclear that there's consensus on what on both sides to uh, form a package on big tech. But I think the, the, that's uh, an issue um, that a lot of attention and time will be spent on. So that's a storyline we'll be following. Um, additionally, you know, what else is bipartisan? Remember earlier this year, uh, Congress passed the CHIPS bill, which is, this uh, $250 billion bill for the semiconductor industry, which, you know, if you take a step back, it's kind of an anti-China bill. It's, it's trying to uh, have the U.S. not reliant on China for semiconductors and we have our own, you know, means within us. Um, and and I think you'll, there's possibility to uh, follow up legislation to that. The big one is the debt ceiling that's going to be um, – very important. That is not a bipartisan issue, but that is one that you know Congress does need to address, or else it could uh, create real havoc in the markets. So you know, those are off the top of my head what I think Congress will be you know able to achieve or really work on. But also at the same time, you're going to see Republicans in the House launch a number of investigations into the Biden administration. So they're going to fire up their oversight machine and and really press the Biden administration hard. For so it sounds like Capitol Hill will be quite busy since we're on the topic of legislation. One item we've been hearing lately more about, Shane, is the Respect for Marriage Act. Could you speak to what this legislation calls for and where it stands today? Yeah, so this, um, you know, interestingly comes out of the Supreme Court decision earlier this summer on um, abortion. Because when uh, the Supreme Court came down with this ruling, you know, uh, Justice Thomas noted that they may go back and look at some other rulings and see if they should, you know, uh, reverse course on those. And one he noted was uh, Obergefell versus Hodges, which has, which essentially legalized uh, gay marriage and lesbian marriage um, in 2015. So, you know, um, with that in mind, uh, Democrats in the House and Senate uh, are trying to uh, pass the Respect of Marriage Act that would essentially um, enshrine gay, gay marriage uh, into law and codify that Supreme Court decision from 2015. Um, the House passed their version, and and the Senate has is moving forward with their version of the bill, um, and they have they, they have cleared a procedural hurdle, and will probably uh, vote on final passage, you know, today or any moment. Um, from there, the House would have to vote on again. So I, I expect that in December, this should get to uh, President Biden's desk. Um, you know, the Senate version is a little different, you know, uh, than the House in order to secure um, a dozen Republican votes that they got. Um, they had to, you know, have some clarifying language on religious liberty. So um, I think this is moving ahead and, and it should happen you know, in the next uh, about three weeks. Okay, well, thank you for the update there, Shane, and 
something we can follow up on. Before we close out our conversation for today, maybe we can spend a moment on geopolitics because recently President Biden and Chinese Premier Xi Jinping, they met in person in Bali, Indonesia. And this, of course, against a backdrop of what you could call a complicated relationship involving the U.S. and China. So what are some takeaways? What did you take away from the summit, chain, And do you feel that the temperature has it all been lowered, maybe at least for the near term? Yeah, I think the temperature has been lowered, but we're not going to fool ourselves and think that uh, China and the U.S. are now best friends. You know, uh, to take another step back, you know, remember where we were just a few months ago after Speaker Pelosi visited Taiwan, you know, China was very upset with that. And, you know, uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if she refused to, you know, meet with Biden at this point, but seeing them actually get together for several hours uh, was uh, positive. And and I think the takeaway from their meeting um, from both sides was, okay, we have um, uh, cooled down the temperature and taken it down, but recognizing on both sides there are a lot of issues, a number of issues that remain outstanding where there is uh, serious disagreement. So, you know, it's a positive, but, you know, uh, progress has not been made on a number of those issues. I, I would note that Biden's trade chief is also meeting with um, her Chinese counterpart for the first time. So, you know, there are uh, there are follow-up actions out of this Xi-Biden meeting. So it's a positive step. But, you know, um, as we saw, President Xi of China also had words with um, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau of China. So, you know, China is, you know, um, you know, really um, uh, getting into it with not just the U.S., other countries. So, you know, it's in some respect their strength in numbers. So uh, I think it's a, a positive for on the U.S. side that, you know, Canada is also jumping in the fray a little bit with, with China. So, you know, uh, this is going to remain a tense relationship for years. Um, and and we have to recognize that, that there are going to be um, ebbs and flows here. And hopefully that, you know, the temperature doesn't reach too high of a point where it actually starts to boil. Well, it is always fascinating to see these leaders come together for these in-person meetings. And to your point, we'll see how these relationships progress in the months and years to come. Though, Shane, thank you for dropping by the podcast today for covering with us all of the ground that you did. A lot here that we'll follow up on in the weeks to come. I know we will be taking a hiatus next week for the Thanksgiving holiday. So wish you and yours a happy Thanksgiving and looking forward to picking back up with the conversation in December. Thank you, Dan. Uh, I'm looking forward to catching up with you. But first, I hope we all enjoy a little um, family time and a quality turkey and and a good meal with our loved ones. So take care, and I look forward to catching with you soon. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Shane. Appreciate it. And again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS, U.S. Office of Public Policy, in Washington, D.C. I do want to point out to our listeners and their clients that you can locate the latest Washington Weekly publication on the website UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, of course, reach out to your UBS financial advisor to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly publication directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 